0: Welcome to episode 29 of Frank Reactions, the show where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name is Tema Frank. Today's guest is Lorraine Schumacher, who is the Director of Marketing Transformation and formerly Director of Customer Service Strategy and Planning at Verizon. As you may know, Verizon is an enormous company in the telecommunications industry, which is one that uh, typically struggles a lot on the customer experience side. She gave a really great talk at the recent CXPA Insight Exchange. And if you're not familiar with the CXPA, it's the Customer Experience Professionals Association. And you might want to check that out at CXPA.org if you work in this industry. Anyway, her talk was about how to gain executive buy-in for your customer experience transformation. She has a very interesting approach, which involves not only creating personas for your customers, which I'm sure many of us have been doing for a while, but also creating personas for the folks you need to win over internally. So people like Fearful Freddy, Samantha Smartypants, and Harry the Data Hog. You'll hear about them in our interview. But before we get there, I just wanted to also give you some of the other highlights from that conference. I've already uh, written a little bit about them. I've got a blog post about the many brilliant ideas from Derek Hall of the Diamondbacks Baseball Club. He had great ideas both on how to treat your staff internally and how to build community support. So if you haven't seen that, head over to frankreactions.com and look up Derek Hall or Diamondbacks. Either way, you'll find it. Anyway, so the interview with Lorraine is relatively short, 16 minutes, so first let me tell you a little bit about some of the other things that I learned at the Inside Exchange. One of the talks that I found kind of interesting was by Leslie Boucher of, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, the Pensare group. I'm pronouncing it as though we Italian, I don't know if it is. And her talk, uh, she pointed out that It is important for you to essentially connect the dots for your internal team to make sure that they really understand both how they can have an impact on customer experience, why it's important, and what skills and abilities they need to improve the customer experience that you offer. She had an interesting approach. So her approach said you start with what they call a moment of truth meeting. So you get together uh, about 15 or 20 people who are one or two degrees separated from the customer, no more than that. And the meeting will be an hour and a half long and you warn them that they have to come ready to share, not just to sit and listen. So in order to get them to shift their perspectives, you want to ask them before the meeting to think about one thing that they currently do for their customers that they're proud of, and secondly, what might the customer like the team to do differently? Second step is to ask everyone for one actionable idea that they can do to strengthen the value for customers. And it it can be a very small step, but it's got to be something that's under their control. Once they're at the meeting, first, you want to split them into groups of four or five people, give it five to 10 minutes, and get them discussing why customer relationships matter. So you want to get them reflecting a little bit about that. You also want them in there to list every point of contact that they can think of between the company and the customer. Once they've done that, come together as a group and list out what are all the points that they can control. You want them to split those activities into three things, activities that they can control directly, activities that they can influence, and everything else. Then get them back into teams, ask them, as a customer, how would you rate us? And at this point, we're just recording their thoughts. They don't need a consensus within the team. Come back together after about five minutes, do a little debrief and look for themes and places where we're likely to be able to have the biggest impact. Then you want them to ask what are actionable takeaways that they could do in the weeks ahead. The thing that's nice about this is that it's a lot simpler than an all-out journey mapping process. And it's about direct impact. It makes them realize that there are, even if they're very little things, there are things that they can affect and that they can control. And what's interesting is the senior management is likely to be very, very interested in the results of these team perceptions. So it, it has the dual impact. The beauty is it gets them to connect with what they can do. And it's a way of in a non-threatening kind of way, getting senior executive interested. Uh, Another suggestion she had was that it's a good idea to record that discussion so that you'll get all the stuff that comes up in conversation, because not everything is going to end up on the flip chart. Then you want to check back with them in a couple of weeks to find out what has happened about their action item and share that with the team. Another interesting little presentation was from Gavin Winter of CX Act. He noted that there's a very different relationship when the customer is looking to buy versus reaching out to you after they have bought. So you want to think about what the customer is trying to achieve before you decide what channel is the best channel to deliver the things that will help them achieve it. And try to develop your system so that there's more guided customer experience and that you guide them to the best channel to provide first contact resolution if they have a problem. Ideally, most companies want to move people out of the high-cost call centers. And the fact is, the customers would rather not telephone anyway So you really want to figure out what is the best way to anticipate and solve customer problems. He gave an interesting example of Netflix who realized that when the customer is trying to contact them, typically they're in the moment and they need instant help. So email would have been too slow an approach. So they staffed up their live chat and they also tell customers how long the wait will be so that they set some realistic expectations. And then finally, to find ways to train customers on how to use the self-help tool. So you want to find ways to encourage them to use them and make it easy for them to use them. Sandra Fornesier of Sienna Corporation talked about metrics in the B2B customer experience world. She runs global customer experience operations for them. She noted that in their organization, she found that using NPS or the net promoter score really didn't work very well for them, partially because the staff mostly thought that that was a sales department job. And also because NPS isn't ideally set up to deal with the fact that in B2B, you have a huge number of stakeholders and decision makers, and often a one to three year buying cycle, during which time individuals may have changed. Also, often, it's a small number of large customers instead of a large number of small customers. So all of these things mean that net promoter score may not be the ideal measurement. So instead, they ask customers a couple of questions. One is, how effectively did we meet your needs? Another is, How easy was it to do business with us? And thirdly, how much value do you feel we created for you? Then they put together cross functional teams to try to increase each of these metrics. They map initiatives to the metrics, develop project roadmaps, and do monthly presentations to the senior executives that show how they're doing. They also have a dashboard they use that maps both the inside out approach, which is our key performance indicators, our quantitative metrics of success. But also the outside in approach, which is to say, the customer perceptions, what are the issues that are important from the customer's perspective? And how do they think we're doing? And she noted, for example, when it came to lead times, their company thought that they were doing great, but the customer said they were not at all. So expectations, of course, really influence perceptions. Bruce Temkin, who was one of the founders of the CXPA and who I interviewed on episode 21 of the Frank Reactions podcast, talked about the need to provide anticipatory service. So going forward, it will no longer be good enough just to give customers what they ask for when they ask for it. Winning organizations are going to anticipate what they need and offer it to them. And it's very interesting because next week I've got an interview coming up for you with Pat Flynn of, of Smart Passive Income. And his talk to New Media Expo, which isn't specifically a customer experience conference, he really focused partially on that same thing, anticipatory service. So Bruce noted that to provide anticipatory service, you need to ask yourself these questions about the customer's journey. First, who is the customer and what is their goal? Second, what will they do right before they interact with you? And what will they do right before that? And before that, go back a few steps. Third, what will they do right after they interact with you? And after that, and after that. What will make them happy? These types of questions are going to help guide you in terms of predicting what are the services they need, when they need them, and in what format they need them. If you want to hear more from Bruce Temkin, as I said, I interviewed him on episode 21 of the Frank Reactions podcast. You can look that up in iTunes or go to frankreactions.com forward slash 21. And the other folks that I took a lot of notes on at the CXPA Insight Exchange were Aaron Wallace from John Deere and Raj S from eBay. And I won't recap what I said there, but if you're interested, and I really think you should be, go to episode twenty seven of Frank Reactions. So again, you can find it on iTunes, on Stitcher, or at frankreactions.com forward slash twenty seven
1: i Lorraine Schumacher with Verizon, and um, I've been on part of the four-year journey where we started with an organization called Customer Business Intelligence, and it really was our first foray into taking the entire corporation on a CX focus, customer okay. experience focus. And so we started with pure voice of the customer, which means many different things. It's anything from a survey response mm-hmm. to actual call recordings to rep notes. So, so there's a myriad of ways that you can get the voice of the customer. But what we started with was taking that voice of the customer and doing analysis on it to actually find insights or opportunities mm-hmm. um, to improve the business as a whole. And what inspired that for your journey? Well, we were lucky enough um, that our CEO was kicking off a Lean Six Sigma program. Prior to that, we were not really a Lean Six Sigma shop. And um, if you're familiar at all with Lean Six Sigma, one of the most important parts when you're starting a Lean Six Sigma program or project is what they call CTQs. And those are the critical to quality measurements. And Mm -hmm. the reality is that a critical to quality measurement is what does the customer expect? Yeah. What's critical to them. Not what's (laughs) critical to us from a revenue perspective, but what does your customer expect? Right. So in theory, he could not launch a broad scale program across the entire corporation without the tool or the ability to give people working on these programs, the voice of the customer to know what is the critical to quality measurement for those customers. So how did you start that? Um, Well, we we put together a team, um, mostly of people who had been with the business for a while. We looked across the entire corporation to see what the pockets of Voice of the Customer were that already existed. We centralized the group and then we started looking at all the tool sets. So, one of the, the jokes about Verizon is if there's five vendors or five platforms, we probably use four of them. Right. Um, so, we, we took inventory, right, mm-hmm. which is a lot of times step one. Yes. So, we took inventory and we started with text analytics and okay. we went ahead and, and we put some tool sets together. We took everything where we had unstructured voice of the customer through text started mining that. Then we started analyzing that. Then we started revamping within the last year and a half all of our surveys. Um, So after call surveys, when you leave a store, transactional surveys, relationship surveys in the B2B Mm -hmm. arena. And so then we moved on to start improving those surveys. Then the third thing that we started doing was looking at actually the voice analytics. And that's everything from what goes on in a call center, to allowing the the QA, the quality control people within those call centers, the ability to real time coach the reps, but then to also take that myriad of data and bring it back back office after the fact to analyze it.
0: So, what would be the best approach for doing that? There are tools that do that. Like, how does that? work.
1: Yeah. So there's multiple tools. I think the biggest challenge, especially across a large corporation or quite frankly, even within a small company is to take all the different ways of looking at things Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out, um, a hierarchy of importance. How do you weight on the different so-called listening posts? Um, you know, if you're looking at social media information, you're going to want to analyze that and look at that a little bit differently than you are um, feedback that you get from the executive relations team.
0: Yeah, I think or you had the, made the comment yeah. that when people reach the executive level, they're not. There won't be a lot of positive feedback right. in there. Right.
1: <laughs> um, and you know, there's a lot of trash talk that happens um, on social media, yeah. but then there's also a lot of piling on. Mm. They use slang a mm-hmm. lot. Um, so you so you got to kind of put things into perspective. You need to weigh them differently. But I think the most important thing anytime you're doing that type of analysis is, is people talking you know, and there's the buzzword actionable insights. Right. Um, and one of the things that we learned over our journey over the last four years is you can't just give mm. people the data. You have to make the, the data emotional or real to them actually put a person behind that data. So if you're talking about a particular customer or a particular group of customers, give that executive, and uh, you know, it's Susie who lives in Des Moines, who, you know, bought their phone at the mall, XYZ right. mall. Right. So you personalize it. You let them actually see those verbatims along with the data that backs it up. Interesting. Um, and then we also try to tie um, all that data and what you see to give you recommended options or, you know, okay. here's some things that we would suggest that that could be a program that you take on or the action behind the insight. Okay. Um, very often when we first started on this journey, the insight was you need to dig deeper and look at this deeper. That's not an insight. Right? <laughs> an insight is essentially what should you do about it okay um and and sometimes the the answer um, is the decision to not do anything differently mm-hmm. um, but at least then it's it's a conscious, conscious. decision right and and it's not just a, a pile of reports that get put on the shelf to collect dust.
0: so let's talk a little bit about how you you, you talked this morning about different types of executives and different ways to approach them so, Not only can you use a persona for your customers, but almost for who you need to sell internally.
1: Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think one of my jokes this morning was that, you know, we could have done the whole presentation in in one post-it up there (laughs) that said, you know, treat your executives like you do your customers. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because they are kind of your customers. customers. Um, You know, I think uh, another example I gave was, uh, you know, uh, a VP and PR. They're one of your customers internally. Um, and so when you look at personas, um, you know, we, we mentioned a couple of them there, there's a guy we like to call fearful Freddie, <laughs> right. And, uh, you, you won't necessarily know it by what his role or his title is. Um, but he'll lay in bed awake at night worrying, um, about how, how do I protect the reputation of the company? Um, and, and, you know, they could work in finance, they could work in marketing, they could work in operations or even it, um, but, but the way to get their buy-in is, is to help them understand um, how you can prevent their biggest fear.
0: And how would you figure out who those people are or um, what their biggest fear
1: is? So Freddy, fearful Freddy, is kind of hard to, to figure out. You actually um, need to observe him in a situation um, where he all of a sudden goes off on a, not a tangent, but he goes in a very different direction than what his role is. Ah. Um, okay. And so that's actually a couple of the Freddies we, we've had at our company. That's how we've been able to, to find them out. <laughs> um, there's also some other personas um, that are very easy to identify. Um, you know, we, co- we call one group um, the competitive Carlos, right? <laughs> and these, these are the guys, more often than not, they're in operations or sales, and they always want to be on top, right. They want to be the best of the best, and, and they don't want anybody else knowing more than them, um, being able to accomplish more than them. Um, and so they're easier to identify, um, but sometimes it's harder to help them. Yeah, um, you know, to get them the insights or, or get them what they need, so that they can pull ahead of their buddy, the other Carlos.
0: <laughs> now, if you're supporting somebody like that to pull ahead of his buddy, are you perhaps running counter to the need to get break down silos and get people cooperating?
1: Sometimes, um, and in other times, you can get them to work as a team. Okay. Right? So yes, you have uh, you know Carlos 1 and Carlos Two. I'm I'm <laughs> going to be number one and Carlos Two's and rank number three this month. Um, but the reality is, is you, you will at some point be able to to rally them around the fact that if they both move up four spots in the ranking, it's for the good of the company. Right. Okay. And 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 you can you can gain additional traction that way as well. Hmm. And what were some of the others? Um, so we, we've got my, my favorite because Mm -hmm. I have these tendencies is Samantha Smarty Pants. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) Samantha is going to be the person in the room that, um, she knows more than you. She will always know more than you because she does her homework. (laughs) Um, and you know, we like to say she's the bio card because, um, as, as long as you're, you're working with her, um, she will be your, your best advocate. Um, but if you don't bring her along for the ride, um, she can also then very easily um, sink you um, as, as quickly as she'll smile at you mm-hmm. um, because she she has a, a just a, an innate need to be the best and be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Um, so you, you can use that to your advantage by helping keep her the, the smartest person around. Right. That's interesting. she yeah. should write a book on that one. Yeah. <laughs> you should.
0: <laughs> so, so... Okay, so you understand these people in the different roles within the executive. So you're getting the feedback, the voice of the customer. Then what do you do, and how do you get from that feedback to getting these senior people buying in and translating it down within the organization?
1: Yeah, so there's multiple ways um, that we've been able to do it. Um, You know, There are large-scale programs. Um, I had already mentioned that we are a Lean Six Sigma Mm -hmm. shop. Um, so there's always millions of dollars there to, yeah. to be had, and, and so that helps promote. Um, then there's also something that, that Verizon had done, and many other companies have done this too, and it's the customer pain points. Mm-hmm. Um, and every year we set priorities around um, what, what are the biggest pain points for a customer. Um, and to be honest, you know, when we first did that, it was based more financially, and it wasn't really mm-hmm. what's birking the customers. Right. It's you know, what's a, a customer issue that's that's turning into a financial issue for us? Okay. Um. And and so we've been able to turn that around by truly saying, you know, this is what the customers are saying. Right. I'm sorry, your baby's ugly, but this is what they said. Right. Um. And so we stack rank and prioritize prioritize those on a yearly basis and then you put programs around that and and you track whether or not um you're making progress over the course of the year and um so we we check that quarterly but we restate those um you know 14 to 20 broken promises or pain points on a yearly basis um then there's grassroots um Mm -hmm. then we actually have people coming to us Um, one of the other personas we like to talk about is Harry, the data hog. (laughs) And, um, you know, sometimes once you, once you get Harry to, to buy into an actionable change, they will come to you and start saying, I have a business issue. Can you help me? Hmm. Can you get me the voice of the customer insights and help me determine how do I move forward with this?" And then as the, the program starts to mature, um, much like if you, you were to look at a Temkin or a Forrester customer experience maturity model, mm-hmm. um, as your program starts to mature, people then start coming to you not only with business issues or business problems, but they start coming to you to help them define things strategically. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of when you're, when you're working on a program, that's the day that you say to yourself, okay, I finally made it where they're bringing us in, um, at the forefront when they're thinking strategically, not after the fact, when they have an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that will really help propel, in my opinion, propel the organization. So how does an organization like yours deal with it when, I mean, you've
0: sort of touched on the point that sometimes what's really irritating the customer's, may not be what's most obvious from the viewpoint financially of the Mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. So
1: how do you balance that? Um, A lot of my answers, I apologize, are it depends. Okay. Um, But I can give you one use case where we actually had a particular program um, that it was a VLSS project, a Lean Six Sigma process, project where we were looking at process process, um, Verizon Lean Six Sigma. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> My acronyms. I got to stop using acronyms. Yeah. But it was a Six Sigma program where we had, um, you know, returns and, and people coming in and, and having to replace equipment. And uh, there was a program that they put in place that there were millions of dollars attached to fixing this process and becoming more efficient on the process. Um, and quite frankly, yeah, they, they did reduce... From a cost perspective, there was quite a bit of, of financial savings. But then we went ahead and we looked at what was the MPS of those customers and what was the number of complaints coming in. Mm-hmm. And they went up drastically. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen hmm. there's cartoons, um, that have been out there that, you know, when you've got the vortex, somebody's going up, but your customer experience is, is yeah. going down. Yeah. Um, and so then it's, it really goes back to re-education that, What's the measurement of the customer? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you can talk about effort score. You can talk about NPS. You can talk about CSAT. Um, but the reality is, is did we or did we not meet the expectations of that customer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Anything else that you? think is particularly important in this. Just the, the the evolution, you know, I mentioned that, that you, you get to a point when people start getting strategic on you that you've arrived. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that the stakeholdering or dealing with your personas or having to resell yourself on a daily basis and sell the cause that never goes away. <laughs> you're you're going to have, um, you know, um, executives swap out. Yep. Um, the customer is going to constantly raise their level of expectation. Yes. Um, and so your, your buy-in is going to be constant, much like it is with your customers, with your executives.
0: What's the most effective way to structure your internal CX team then to make sure that it is a sustainable thing?
1: So for us, we've actually evolved over, over the four years. We started as a group we like to think of ourselves as ninjas, right? We were a small <laughs> corporate little, little group in the center. Then we had to actually move to a more of a hub-and-spoke Model And now we're getting to a point because they're wanting us to scale across such a large corporation yeah. that, that we're actually looking in some pockets to do a more distributed model on, on the work that we're doing. Um, so we moved from um, our budgets have grown year over year, our organization has grown year over year, to the point now where after four years we, we've broken up into three pieces, parts of an organization versus being all under one one group.
0: Um, so again, where are those scalable. Three parts
1: then? um so we're still under we're now under the chief marketing officer. Yeah. You know, whereas before we were in operational excellence because again we we were tied to six sigma, six sigma. We, mm-hmm. we were tied to find and fix which mm-hmm. if you if you look at uh, maturity models that's where you need to start. Yeah. And then as you become more strategic you you need to get people um across all of the corporation to understand what you do. So again, back to stakeholdering top down bottom up. And it just continues to, to evolve. And, and so as the organization changes and more people buy into it, I mean, let's, let's face it, our goal, Mm -hmm. truly, um, as CX professionals is not so much to work yourself out of a job, but to get CX embedded in every single employee in the company, whether, you know, whether you're front office, back office, dealing with customers on a daily basis or not, that you're, you're keeping the customer experience at the forefront in your mind every day.
0: How do you change the mentality of that, though, in an organization the size of Verizon?
1: Um, So we are lucky enough that um, the credo that we've had in place for probably a good 10 years now, the first line of the credo is we have jobs because of our customers. Right. So we we really do, from a cultural perspective, we we do tout it and we train people on it. You know, that's not to say that, that somebody that, that works in a back office job that's, that's crunching numbers or, or dealing with the system functions. Every once in a while, we do need to be reminded, and you know, myself <laughs> included, that what I do at some point affects the end user, the end customer. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, I think it's just constant reinforcement. Makes sense. Yeah. Anything else? No, I think that's it. <music>
0: That's all for today. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm happy to say that we are getting more podcast reviews showing up on iTunes. Thank you so much. I love it when people do that. The latest one is from Donna Crooks with the heading smart and insightful. Tema Frank is a thoughtful and intelligent interviewer who engages in lively discussions with her guests. She has a talent for picking out key themes relevant to her customer experience focused audience. It was a pleasure to meet her in Toronto this year. Highly recommended. Now that said, I've got to admit, Donna's got a bit of a bias because she is one of the people I interviewed. And if you missed that, and especially if you're interested in customer experience in government and government transformation, check out frankreactions.com forward slash 25 or look that episode up on iTunes or Stitcher. And her name is Donna Crooks, C-R-O-O-K-S. Thanks, Donna and thank all of you who are putting in iTunes reviews. I really appreciate it. Stay tuned next week for Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income. I will be traveling again this week, although this time not to a conference, but to my niece's wedding. It's going to be a little more complicated because I actually managed to break my foot in a gardening accident on the weekend. So uh, time for me to call the airline and book a wheelchair to get me through that airport. Talk to you again in a week. And in the meantime, if you've got feedback, comments, I love to hear from you. You can always send me a quick email, tema, T E Amazon marketing, A, at frankreactions.com. I'll leave a message on my toll-free number, 1-866-544-9262. Or send me a tweet, at frank, or reach me on other social media. Talk to you again soon.
1: Bye.